It's my pleasure to welcome you to Central this morning, where we seek transformation through the renewing work of the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that you experience Jesus and his presence and his power here this morning. We're ending our study of Jonah that we've spent the month of August looking into. And as we come to chapter four, I want you to imagine yourselves just for a moment in Jonah's shoes. God had called you to go preach to these Ninevites and, and, and you ran away the opposite direction to go as fast as you could away from God. But God sent a lifeboat in the form of a great fish to save you out of the sea and spit you back upon dry ground. And God called again. And you went and preached the message to the Ninevites and shock of all shocks, they believed. They listened from the top to the bottom. This nation turned to the Lord. Who wouldn't be excited about that? Jonah, that's who. What could possibly be more of concern than that? What might we be concerned about that can sometimes rob us of our joy at seeing God at work? Let's pray and ask the Lord to lead us as we come to Jonah chapter 4. Father, we ask that you would send your Holy Spirit and help us to see Jesus. Help us to see our glorious salvation we've received in Christ and send us out into the world as your agents of compassion. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Jonah 3, beginning in verse 10 through the end of chapter 4. When God saw what they, the Ninevites, did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I know that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and he sat east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he could see what would become of the city. Now the Lord appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that he might have shade over his head and to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. What concerns you? It's a question that lingers in our minds as we read this chapter of Jonah, isn't it? 
And the next question that follows is, am I concerned about the same things that God is concerned about? There have been seasons in my life where I've greatly benefited from going to counseling. And one of the things I've learned from these uh, numerous wonderful counselors I had across the year uh, is that they ask really good questions. They ask questions so that we have to answer them or at least grapple with the things that come up when we're trying to deal with those questions. But the question brings it to the surface, right? That's what good counselors do. I suppose that God knew that I needed so much counseling, I couldn't afford to pay for it. So he gave me Missy as a wife, and she's a counselor. I'm, I'm her sole client now, and uh, she asks really good questions, by the way. But when we read God asking a question in the Bible, it's not because he needs to know something. But rather, God asks questions to expose something. He asks questions to uncover things He asks questions of biblical character so that when we get an answer, we see a window into their heart, into their their motives, their loves that reside deep within as they respond to the question. God is a really good counselor like that. He asks questions so that we are forced to grapple with the answers that God already knows is there. He already knows what's in our hearts. And these questions that came to Jonah come to you and to me too. In our chapter, God asked several questions, and by extension, he's asking them to you and to me. He asked Jonah, are you right to be angry when I offer my grace to sinners? Are you right to be angry when my blessings don't come to you in a form you want to prefer? Should I not be concerned about this big, wide, lost world out there? As God asks these questions of Jonah, he's exposing, he's teaching, and he's showing Jonah, he's showing us what our hearts are concerned about but he's also showing us what he's concerned about. Let's walk through these questions in Jonah chapter four. The first one is, are you right to be angry about grace? Jonah was concerned that he experienced grace. If you remember from chapter two, he prayed with thanksgiving from the belly of the great fish as God saved him, as God heard him in his distress, as God offered him mercy and grace. And he said at the end, salvation belongs to the Lord. It's been extended to me and to my people. And Jonah was celebrating that this undeserved favor of God had been given to him. But that same grace and favor of God that he praised God for within the belly of the fish in chapter 2, those same things have to become the root of his anger in chapter 4. Why? Because God gave that same grace to undeserving enemies. God gave it to them to that nation. God was merciful to those people. Get verse two where he tells us why he ran. He said, this is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Now that's a quote that comes from Exodus chapter 34. After God had saved his people from slavery, he wanted them to have absolute clarity about who he is what his character is like. He saved them from being slaves. He called them his own special people. And he said, I'm gracious and merciful, abounding in love. And Jonah knows all about that. He knows all about the compassion of God well enough that he can quote the Bible verse. But does he know that grace enough in his heart that it directs how he lives his life? That distance from the head to the heart sometimes is a lifetime long. 
The same things that he praised God for, steadfast love, relenting from disaster, and giving his life, he suspected God was going to give that to the Ninevites. Giving those things, those graces that belong to him, he thought, and his people. But you're giving it to them? It made him want to die, he said in verse 3. His his cry is, God, big grace for me. Big grace for us, but judgment for all those bad people out there. I'm not like them. I would rather die than you give them kindness. Kindness. Do we really know all about God's grace? Can quote the Bible verse, and yet his grace doesn't direct how we live our lives. His grace may not direct how we demonstrate his compassion to the world around us. Is that true of us too? Interestingly, we see this attitude in the Bible lots of times, and there's one occasion where Jesus told a story about it, and we could say that it's the New Testament lens on the heart of Jonah. It's the story of the parable of the lost sons from Luke chapter 15. You know that story. Well, I'll briefly remind you of it. There were two sons. The youngest one squandered his father's kindness, his father's resources on wild, wasteful living. He just threw it all away. But the other son stayed behind. He was lost in his own father's house because he felt like he he was a slave to his taskmaster father. He had to earn his favor. But the father loved both of these boys with extravagant love. Such an extravagant love that when the younger son comes home, the father throws a party and the older son goes outside, crosses his arms and says, I'm not having any part of it. I want nothing of a love that treats someone like him with grace and kindness. Do you hear the heart of Jonah? The Ninevites were like the younger brother in this story, wildly disobedient, and the father foolishly in his eyes gives them grace and kindness, and yet Jonah's the classic older brother. He stayed home. I did it all right. I followed all your rules, and you're celebrating the one who's disobedient. You're celebrating that wild one. Jonah's the classic older brother. What happened to him? How did that come about? Well, I think Jonah's heart had lost sight of the blessing of being part of God's family, of belonging to God, of of receiving that extravagant love of his father. He lost sight of the fact that the same grace that was given to these Ninevites was the same grace that God had given to him. He lost sight of the fact that, that it cost the Lord just as much to love those Ninevites and save them as it cost him to love him as a sinner. Sometimes we lose sight of that fact too, that it costs God just as much to love us as it does them, as it does to love the other out there, the person with whom we're really angry or the person with whom we we, we feel like we're superior over them. It costs God just as much to love me as it does them. And in the greater light of the revelation of the cross and the resurrection, we see it even more clearly on this side that the same blood of Jesus was spilled to save religious, <laughs> religious wildling people and wicked irreligious people as well. It's that same scandal of the cross that brings any of us the gift of salvation. It's our sin too that necessitated the death of Jesus just as much as the person out there living in ways that I would disapprove. And so would God, by the way. 
But it's the blood of Christ that draws us in, that draws us into his compassion. And just because my sin looks a little differently than someone else's sin on the outside, doesn't mean that Jesus' crucifixion was any less necessary to bring any of us life. Nineveh was lost in wickedness and Jonah was lost in his religious pride. Are we? For us this morning, when we are like Jonah, we lose sight of God's gracious provision of Jesus as our substitute on the cross. And when we begin to forget about that magnitude of his grace, then we begin to have ice cold hearts toward the other, toward the other person out there. We may make ourselves, find ourselves making, as Sinclair Ferguson says, a God in our own image, a narrow-hearted judge who would only come into fellowship with sinners under certain very restrictive conditions. When we lose sight of that glorious gospel for us, how much we've been forgiven, how much of our sin the Lord has canceled in his blood, the reconciliation that's been given to us, when we lose sight of all of that, then we lose the ability to love others in the same way that we've received love from Christ. We might even find ourselves harshly condemning in those people the same sins that I excuse in my life. It happens when we lose our wonder at this glorious gospel that God has provided to us and it sets us in opposition to them. When we forget the gospel, we live in an us versus them mentality, clinging to the promises of salvation as if they're my private property rather than they are gifts of Christ. He calls us to steward before the world, to share these gifts and these promises of salvation. Friends, the Lord exposed Jonah's self-righteous heart and he might expose our self-righteous hearts so that he shows how wide is his mercy, his expansive mercy flung as wide as the arms of Christ on the cross. Are you willing to ask God to root it out of your own heart? Are you willing to say this morning, Lord, would you remove my self-righteousness toward that other toward that person with whom I'm angry, toward those, that group of people whom I feel I'm superior to, are you willing to ask God to root it out of your heart or your life? But take another step. Are you willing to say, Lord, would you also use me to tell the story of your grace to those people? Would you not only root out the sin of self-righteousness in me, but would you also use me as your instrument to tell the wonder of your grace to those, to the other. Do you do well to be angry about grace? God asked Jonah and he asks you and me. Second question, do you do well to be angry over comfort? Jonah went out of the city and he he went uh, waiting for God to rain down judgment. He built this little hut. He built a lean-to to to shade himself. And God graciously, verse 6 tells us, appointed a plant, a vine to grow up over and provide shelter for him and to save him from his discomfort. It says in verse 6 that Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. Does that expression sound familiar? He was exceedingly glad about this plant, and it's exactly the same as in verse 1, except a word has changed. He was exceedingly displeased in verse 1. He's exceedingly glad now because of the level of comfort that God had provided to him. It makes us wonder, was that a little bit too important to Jonah? 
Was that comfort too important? Now, not, it's not bad to be grateful to God for the comfort he gives in our lives, but just how important is it to you? It's possible that in this room this morning, we share that same concern with Jonah. We are more concerned with our own level of comfort than we are with anything else. And the Lord exposed that, we can call it an idol. It was a a base commitment, a deepest heart concern. He exposed it in Jonah's life and God appointed a a, a worm. Same word as the one that sent the, the vine. He appointed a worm to destroy the plant and then he appointed, same word again, the scorching wind to take away his comfort. And what happened? Well, Jonah was furious. This is unbelievable. I'm up here waiting on this to happen and and you do this too? It's unbelievable. I'm just ready to die. Take me now. Have you ever thought that before the Lord? I've had it. I've had it with you. Take me now. Why would God do that in Jonah's life? Well, he did it in order to expose Jonah's idolatry, his utter concern, the depth-based concern of his heart for his own comfort. He did it to expose. Look at verse 10. God said to Jonah, you pity the plant. The pity is a word for grief. It's a a word that can be translated, have your heart broken. You have your heart broken over this plant, Jonah. Verse 11, should I not pity? Should I not have my heart broken over that great city, which there are more than 120,000 persons who don't know their right hand from their left? God's saying, do you see the contrast here, Jonah? You are absolutely committed to your physical comfort. And yet, Jonah, I'm committed to eternal comfort of giving life to sinners. What's broken here, Jonah? Do you see the difference? It's the language of attachment that God is is using here. He's saying, Jonah, this loss of your comfort is what moves you. The loss of your comfort is what engages your heart. The loss of comfort is what worries you. You're moved over that pity when your heart, when your life is uncomfortable. But Jonah, do you see what my heart is moved about? My heart is moved, I'm engaged. My heart is full of pity and compassion. My heart is broken over all those lost people. What moves your heart? Is it the same thing that moves God's heart? I confess there are times in my life when I am way, way more interested in my own experience of being comfortable than I am in being used as an agent of God's grace in someone's life, and it might call me to be a little bit uncomfortable in that moment. But what is our heart concern? What is most true? What most engages us? What what is our heart broken over? Now, God showed us what Jonah's concerned about and shows us what we're often concerned about, but God, he also shows us what he's concerned about, and it's more than comfort. His purposes in this world are more than simply meeting our physical comfort needs. He's, he's concerned about them. The Bible's clear about that. God has moved, however, to compassion, and he's heartbroken over ways that we wander into danger and sin as well. He calls us to a life of following Jesus, and it may not be comfortable all the time. It may be challenging. It may be hard. It may not be easy, but God in the midst of it is always good, and his works are always good, even when they're hard, 
He calls us to walk this road of life with him, of having our heart care about what he cares about, even when it's hard. What concerns you? There have been seasons in my life when the Lord removed one comfort or another, and, and I've needed help to say, God, what's happening here? I need you to help me understand what's going on here. There, there have been hard seasons that have felt like it's more than just a loss of comfort. It's loss of love and loss and loss of friends and family, loss of children, loss of things that are much deeper than comfort. And yet each time the Lord has walked me through those things, each time he might walk you through some of those things, it's not always the best question to focus on why is this happening to me? Why, God, why is this happening to me? A far better question is to ask, Lord, what about your heart are you showing me right now? In the midst of this hardship, in the midst of my loss of something that was really important to me, what are you showing me about yourself? What about your love, your character, your faithfulness? What do you want me to see about your purpose for my holiness and devotion to you? What about your refining work? What about your your purpose of being a renewing king in this world? What about your provision in my life? What about yourself are you showing me as I experience this loss of comfort? Are we right to be worried about that deeply, a loss of comfort, when God is showing us his heart? He's showing us his loves. He's showing us that you are his treasure. Are we right to be angry about a loss of comfort? The third question is this. Are you right to be angry over compassion and care? We saw, just talked about it a moment ago in verse 9. Jonah was angry about the loss of this plant. He had compassion for that plant. And when he lost it, he wanted to die. But he had no compassion for image bearers of God. He cared about a plant. But God asked, do you care about people? That's where the, that heart disconnect in Jonah became so clear, and maybe it's clear in ours as well. It's, it's easy sometimes to show compassion to those we deem worthy of it. But what about compassion to those who we perceive are our enemies? What about compassion for people who have harmed me or people who can't do anything to pay me back? And am I concerned about showing compassion there too? Why show it? Why mirror the heart of God, our creator, our redeemer, toward those people? Why did God want to do it? Because they're made in his image. And they're valuable. They're made in his image. They're valuable and they're worthy of concern in his eyes. Are all of God's image bearers of value in our eyes? Why care about those Ninevites? Those 120,000 people who verse 11 says don't know their right hand from their left, it's a figure of speech. It means they're morally and spiritually blind. Why care about all those people? Because they're made in God's image. It's how they were made. They were created to reflect God's glory and he values them. That's why God calls us to draw close toward people, move toward people in compassion and not gloat over their destruction. They matter to God. And they should therefore matter to us. Why do we have compassion and care for people who can't do anything to repay us? Because they're made in the image of God. They're valuable to God. They should therefore be valuable to us. Why should we have compassion and care for the lives of the unborn? 
Why should we protect and preserve their little vulnerable lives in the womb? Because those little vulnerable lives in the womb are made in the image of God. That's why. We draw toward them. We care about them. We have concern for them because they're made like God and he values them. Do we? Why do we love and serve and care for and protect and provide for all those mothers in an unplanned pregnancy? Because they're all made in the image of God. Every one of them, they matter to him. But do they matter enough to us to shake us free of a little bit of our comfort? Do they matter to us like they matter to God? Why should we not cancel people? Even people with whom we seriously disagree, but instead we listen to them and we value them, even if we think their ideas are silly. Why? Because they're made in the image of God. Why should we pursue people who treat us like enemies? Because they're made in the image of God. The poor, the vulnerable, the immigrant, the the underserved in our own land. Why care about them? Because God does. They're made in the image of God. They matter to him. They're made like him. The question for us is, does our heart image his heart? Does our heart care about whom he cares about? Does our compassion extend to the weak and the vulnerable and the overlooked and even the hated? Does it matter God's heart? And are we willing to step in? Are we willing to demonstrate that heart of God for a lost and hurting world. It's where our theology grows legs or not. It's easy to show compassion to people we feel deserve it in some way. It's easy to value someone we think they, they deserve valuing, but what about our enemies? What about those whose lives are different from ours? Do I long for and hope for and work for compassion for them too? That's pricking your heart this morning. There are lots of ways to get involved, demonstrating God's heart for this world, his compassion, even here in our own city down the block. You could talk to Pastor Ben. You can talk to our mission chairs, Sherry and Rosemary. They would love to get you connected with how you can be the hands and feet of a loving Jesus in this world right around you. Love for you to get connected to show the heart of God to a very, very needy world. We need to hear it because, at least for myself, I am too much like Jonah far too often. There was the prophet who knew all the Bible verses, and he went outside and sat under a shade tree to watch all the judgment come down. Sat under the shade tree saying, Lord, I'm ready for the light show. I'm ready for the judgment, for them to get what's coming to them. Bring it down now. But Jesus... Is very different. The Son of God took on flesh to reveal and set on display the heart of God. And this Jesus was marched outside the city, up a hill called Golgotha, not to watch judgment come down, but to receive it on himself. He took judgment, God's judgment for my sin and yours. God's heart was to take that cost of our judgment on himself on the cross in love for wicked sinners like you and me. That's God's heart. That's what he's like. Do we have a heart of compassion and concern 
the images and mirrors our heavenly fathers. Let me close with this. What would you do? That's how the book ends. It ends with a question. It doesn't tell us what Jonah did. We have no idea what Jonah did. No idea at all. It's an open-ended question so that you have to wrestle with the answer. Put yourself in Jonah's shoes. What will you do with what you know about the compassionate, gracious heart of God? It reminds me of this little song that we sing in kids' Sunday school. I think we still sing it, though. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. You know that song? Hide it under a bushel? No. No. I'm going to, there you go. Excellent. We've got some participation down here. Reminds me of that song. What will you do? that this light of God's grace and compassion has shone in your heart. Are you going to let it shine? Are you going to call and reach out to others in the same grace that you've received or you want to hide it under a bushel? That bushel of self-righteousness, of, of self-concern, of treating the other like they're not an image bearer and valuable to God. My hope and my prayer is that here at Central, we're going to let it shine that the world sees Christ in us and through us. What concerns you? Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for all the ways that you have showered your love and your compassion down upon us. You've come for us. You've, you've given yourself for us. You went to the cross for us. You were raised from the dead. You were ascended into heaven to rule and to reign. And you tell us that you bless us from the throne. Lord, we ask that you would bless us this morning with a heart like yours. A heart like yours that longs for grace and compassion to be spread widely through this world. A heart like yours that's willing to experience a little bit of discomfort, even the discomfort of taking on flesh and being crucified. Would we be willing to take on discomfort, Lord, if it means demonstrating your heart to the people around us? Make us agents of compassion and care. May your light of Christ shine in us and through us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.